Being knocked down by a car in her early teens changed the trajectory of this mum's life for over a decade. Join me to discover Emma's powerful story of how she bounced back and is on a mission to make survival of trauma and domestic abuse a beautiful superpower for other women too. Join me as I talk to Emma Roscoe. Welcome to the Empower podcast for mums in business. We are women building a business we love while making a home for the ones we love more than anything. I'm your host, Nicola Hewlin. Join me as I talk to seemingly ordinary women just like me and you as they share their extraordinary stories and inspirational advice to bounce back even stronger from challenging times and thrive in business, motherhood and life. So I'm really excited to welcome today's guest to the show, Emma Roscoe. Hi, Emma. Hi, Nicola. Thanks so much for coming on the show to share what I know is an incredible story of bouncing back from challenges and tough times. And that's what this show is all about to inspire our audience. I'm going to hand straight over to you. What is the bounce back story that you would like to share with our audience today? Okay. Thanks, Nicola. Um, my bounce back, my actual bounce back from the things I experienced started when I was 35 years old. But I had spent the previous 19 years of my life living a half life and being held back by the experiences that had previously happened to me. So when I was 15 years old and kind of like in the height of 90s fashion, so if you want to picture me with big curly hair and a black puffer jacket and Levi 501s, it was um, awesome. Yeah, it was. It was and the, the Heather Shimmer lipstick as well. That was kind of like my oh, yeah, I <laughs> yeah. Um, And I was kind of like I was. I was a confident, happy teenager. I'd got you know a great group of friends, and we were going to a house party that we weren't really supposed to be having, to be honest. And jumped off the bus and we we're chatting away, crossing the road, and then out of nowhere, a car hit me. Oh my goodness. And I don't remember the car striking my body. I don't remember smashing the windscreen. I don't remember shooting down the road after the car had stopped moving. Um, But the damage that I was left with following the accident affected me for many years of my life. Physically, my body recovered, um, but mentally I didn't. I still don't remember any of the accident, which I'm very, very thankful for Um, because I was knocked unconscious at the time but when I returned to school I had to go back in a wheelchair because I was still recovering and on my first day back at school a boy um, blocked my way out of the classroom and kind of looked me up and down and kissed his lips at me and said oh well at least your face didn't get too fucked up and his mates laughed and I just sat there in a wheelchair feeling so small and I couldn't stand up for myself. I didn't know what to say. And I kind of like half laughed and shrugged it off, but it really, really stuck with me. And that point, just those few words from him were the start of me starting to believe that my worth was largely dependent on how I looked and also what other people thought of me. And when you start believing something, you kind of your brain it looks for evidence to back that up doesn't it it's like this is my belief now so I'm only gonna store the stuff that backs that up for myself and that's what happened 
So um, less than a year later, I fell in love with the wrong kind of boy. And that marked the start of me spending the next decade of my life in an abusive relationship. It was emotionally abusive. Um, there was a lot of control. And there was definite episodes of sexual coercion as well. And being only 16, it was my first proper, you know, apart from a few snogs in the playground, it was, it was my first relationship. I had nothing to hold that up against and nothing to compare it to. And so I didn't question a lot of things. And nobody talked about emotional abuse or coercive control back then. So there was nobody shining a light on what was going on. There was nobody saying, this isn't normal, Emma. And it didn't take very long for the subtle little bits of control to become my normal and then become the rules I live my life by, which is probably why I think I stayed in that situation for so long. Because by the time I'd started to question stuff and think, you know, should I be feeling this way? Is this normal? I'd been in too long. I was already in too deep. And because of how I felt about myself, it was almost as though I was accepting the love I thought I deserved. So I didn't think I deserved any better. This was my lot in life and this is what I needed to settle for. And that's what I did. So I made the best out of a very bad, toxic, damaging situation and tried to carry on by pretending to the rest of the world that I had a healthy relationship. And I did that for 10 years, which was emotionally and physically exhausting. And everything I experienced during those 10 years affected and shaped me in so many ways, but I didn't realize the complete fallout of that until years later down the line. Um, but I still remember the day I left him eventually it got to the point where I was so desperately unhappy because I was looking at myself in the mirror every morning and I didn't even recognize the woman I was looking at but she just had this desperation in her eyes this pleading look it stop make it stop and I didn't know how to and I still struggle to tell people how I felt at that time because I'd got so desperate that I'd actually started pushing him back and deliberately trying to cause an argument in the hope that he would physically hurt me. He never, there'd always been indirect violence and kind of like intimidation sometimes, but he'd never laid a finger on me in a violent way apart from certain sexual episodes and things like that that happened. And I couldn't see another way out. I needed someone else to come in and save me because I didn't think I could save myself. So I thought if he punches me in the face, if he pushes me down the stairs, if he does something, someone else will come in and go, oh my God, this isn't okay. I'll make this stop for you. And it's because of how disempowered and hopeless I felt that I talk about that now because it's a very scary, lonely place to be. And if anyone else is in that and if it just even just one person hears that and to know that it's not just them and they're not on their own and there is a way out then it's it's worth me sharing it but it still makes me feel sick I still feel physically sick when I say it absolutely and not wanting to interrupt the flow of your story but there, there have been so you know a number a lot of guests on the show where there is that strand to their story of these types of relationships and I think it is far more common than 
than we ever imagine. I've been there myself personally. So I'm, you know, I'm so glad you're sharing that story and that awareness because like you say, often when we're in it, we certainly at the beginning, we don't see it or we can't see it. And even when we've been in it for a long time, just, it was really powerful. It becomes our normal and, um, and we don't question it or we rationalize it away. And, and I think creating that awareness of it's not okay is, is really important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's that you modify, you modify your behavior and you change yourself because you know, you do what you have to do to survive in that situation. And, you know, you treading on eggshells, the famous kind of phrase that's used, but you do like, I stopped being confrontational. I stopped speaking up. I stopped, I lost my voice because it was dangerous. Me having an opinion or me standing up for myself or me saying, no, that's not okay. Or it's not like that, or you're wrong was dangerous. So I didn't, I just kept quiet and I made myself small. And then even in the years after I left him, that's a pattern that continued. So in every job I had, I wouldn't always speak up about things I didn't agree with because I wouldn't want to be challenged. I wouldn't want to have a confrontation with anybody. I felt like my opinions didn't matter. Um, And it just became this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy that the legacy, like the emotionally damaged legacy that I was left with was that the words and things that had been used against me, they became my beliefs. They became how I saw myself and it affected every aspect of my life. And I became grateful for less than I deserved time and time again. And that was really hard to deal with. And looking back, I wish I could kind of go back and just hold the hand of myself at different stages and give her a hug and say, you know, you're better than this. You deserve better than this. And you've always been enough because I think it could have changed a lot of things for myself. And it wasn't until I was, as I said, as I was 35 and I just had my son, I had my son the year before that I made that choice to step up and change things. And I didn't do it then because I thought I was worth it. I did it because I knew he was. Mm. and I'd been through well we'd been through an awful lot to get to having him I'd had several miscarriages in the lead up to falling pregnant with my son and because doctors and consultants couldn't I had every test I was poked prodded loads of horrible things done as you can imagine to try and find out what was going on and why I couldn't get past about 12 weeks in each pregnancy and um, they couldn't find anything And I remember the devastating feeling of being told that there was nothing wrong with me because I took that as this must be my fault then. I thought if there was something medically wrong, they could fix me. But being told that there wasn't was so much harder to take. And my self-talk, which was brutal, um, it just began whispering to me, you know, maybe you don't deserve to be a mum. And that then became my belief. And it took a long time for me to break that and I was talking to someone recently about the fact that I feel on some level I actually manifested our son because I started to visualize myself with him every day I'd sit quietly every day and it would become so real to me because I could feel his skin against mine I could smell his baby smell I could picture him perfectly And every time I did that, that feeling got stronger and stronger and stronger. 
until I eventually got to the point where I could say out loud, I deserve to be a mum. And on the day I actually said that out loud to somebody else, I didn't realise, but I was actually two weeks pregnant with him. Incredible. Yeah. And I knew I was having a boy and the pregnancy felt different to all the other pregnancies. It felt strong. I could feel him. He was there. He was real. And yeah, I was blessed with my little boy, Logan, who is now coming up five years old. Incredible. And I love how you, you, you mentioned the words, the day there was, you know, the, the, the day that things changed. Was that when you found out you were pregnant or was this when, when your son was older? Tell us about, because the reason I ask this question is when we're, when we're in the thick of a situation like that and we don't question and it's not our norm, it's really interesting to, to share, you know, what, what are the catalysts of change? What, what are those things that help us take that, you know, what is a terrifying step at the time to, to change or to leave or to escape or to whatever that, um, whatever that next step is. And what, what was your catalyst? What helped you transition away from, from that situation that you were in? With the relationship, the transition was that he came back one day with um, details of properties that he wanted us to get a mortgage on. And the thought, and there was all these plans of, you know, the future and marriage. We'd been engaged for years, but there's always talk of ma- marriage and children. And all of a sudden I just had this feeling of no, it just was rising up in me, this feeling of no, no, no. And it was getting louder and louder in my head until I said it out loud. And that's all I just said. I just said, no. And he looked at me and was, you know, what? And I just kept saying it again and again, no, no, no. And he cried, he started crying. And he knew, he knew at that point that he'd lost me. And when I finally, I had to take a week, he made me take a week to think about it, which of course I did because I did everything he said. And even in the moment when I handed him back the engagement ring and I was like, thought I was gonna be sick and I was shaking. But I knew this is what I had to do for myself because I couldn't do it. I just couldn't carry on living this way. It was suffocating me. I was drowning and I needed to get out. Um, But I did it really politely and kindly. And I told him that I'd probably always be a part of me that would love him, which is sickening because I hadn't loved him for a long time before I left but I just did it as politely as I could because I needed to slip away quietly and I didn't want it to I didn't want him to come after me I didn't want him to pursue me I just needed to escape um and so that's how I did it but all those years later when I had my son because I had my son kind of well I was 26 when I left him and I had my son when I was 34 but after all we went through in having him um the real strong turning point for me was after we got to bring him home from hospital, which wasn't after, you know, like you normally do after a few days, it was a few weeks because he had a brain hemorrhage when he was three days old. Goodness. And I had this moment, well, it wasn't a moment. It was like hours and days of sheer terror because everything I'd ever wanted was there and he was real and I could touch him and love him and he was mine. And then there was a really strong chance he was going to get taken away from me. And I have never, ever felt as terrified 
or as helpless as I did watching him fight for his life. Um, but I'd had a little warrior and he was very, very strong. And eventually he ripped out his own breathing apparatus and started breathing on his own. And um, yeah, he just went from strength to strength. But after I brought him home, I relived those scenes from the hospital again and again, whether I was asleep or I was awake and my mental health started to go downhill very quickly. And I'd had episodes of depression, anxiety disorders in the past because of the relationship that I'd been in previously. Um, so I knew what was happening. I could feel it in myself. I knew I was going downhill fast. And um, I was looking in the one day I was sat on the sofa and I had him laid out in my arms with his head in my hands and his bum up against my body. And I was just looking at him and I thought, you deserve the best mummy you can possibly have. And I'm not capable of being her right now. And so that was the point at which I decided that I needed help and I needed to step up and start changing things for myself so that I could be the mum he deserved and so I could start being the woman I was always meant to be. Amazing. And I've got goosebumps hearing that part of the story because I can, I, I can relate where sometimes our children become our why and they gave us this source of strength that perhaps at the time we're not able to find for ourselves, but the, the power of um, what a mother wants to be and give her children can be so incredible. And I, I love that you refer to your son as a warrior and how he went from strength to strength. And, you know, I see you now, um, how you're showing up in the world and all that you're doing. And I see the warrior, the warrioress in you and how you've gone to, from strength to strength. And talk, talk us through that, that bounce back chapter, if you like, of going from that decision to get help to this incredible position that, that you're in today. How, how did that unfold? I didn't know what to do. I didn't know. Like I knew I could go. I, and I did. I went to the GP and I was diagnosed with like PTSD symptoms and all kinds of stuff. And I was, I was medicated. I've never had any shame admitting that I needed medication because it gave me the kind of mental strength and headspace to then start doing the work I needed to do for myself. Mm. And um, I didn't know what to do first, but I made the decision to start taking personal responsibility um, for my thoughts, my choices, like kind of my behaviors every single day. And it's still something that I do now. I'm very conscious about the choices that I make because we always have a choice, but I didn't realize that for so much of my life. And I had to kind of go back and work through that and take responsibility for all the things I'd allowed in the past, all the times I'd stayed when I needed to leave him because I always had a choice. I was, there was never a threat to my life. I was never held captive against my will, but I chose to stay. And I might've chose to stay because it felt safer. You know, there might've been really strong reasons for me doing that, but I still made the choice to do that. And I had to take responsibility and acceptance of all of the things I'd done. And I realized that I owed myself one hell of an apology for putting up with lots of shit I didn't deserve for a very long time. 
And the self-forgiveness was a huge part of my healing. You know, I went right back to 15 year old Emma and worked my way through all the times, you know, I'd had to drop out of uni because I was so severely depressed and lots of stuff had happened along the way. And I needed to go back and address all of that. And as I did that, I kind of became stronger and it wasn't about blame. There was no, and it was never about blame. You know, everything he did, everything he said, that's all on him. I just had to work on me. And I forgave him way before I forgave myself because the self-forgiveness part was a lot, lot harder. Um, but it, it was just a gradual process, but it, I had to show up for myself every day. And there were plenty of times when I wanted to just stay in bed. But I made myself get up and get on with the day anyway. I had to show up for myself. And I was a mum now, you know, I had a tiny person depending on me. So I couldn't just cop out. There was no, I'm sorry, this is too much. I had to keep getting up and carrying on and stepping forward. And I'm still a work in progress. I mean, I am so much further down the line now, but I think there's always more becoming to do. And that. <laughs> it definitely is. It's like, you know, and sometimes that kind of thing, like, you know, I'll put myself forward for something or I'll step up for something. And then another little challenge comes back or that voice will come back. I'm like, oh, you sure? You sure you're up to this? You sure you're ready? You sure you're good enough for this, Emma? But now I can go, hell yeah. Whereas before that voice would have shut me down. And it did shut me down, kept me small for a long, long time. But now I'm able to go, you know, thank you. I appreciate you're trying to keep me safe, but I've got this. And I, I just love that you found your voice and are able to come on today to share what is such an incredible story and really inspirational. And, you know, for our audience, not, not everybody, thankfully, is going to experience, you know, the exact same type of challenge and adversity. But I I feel that there are, there are such common themes, aren't there, in terms of ex feeling trapped in a situation or thinking that's our lot or that we don't deserve more, not being able to see a way out, perhaps not being able to take that first step or see the, the choices we do have at the time. I mean, hindsight's, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And um, you know, when, when we're talking now and when I think about even my own journey or every bounce back guests I've talked to, we talk about the beauty of hindsight where we can look back over our journey and connect. It's so easy to connect the dots backwards. Obviously, we're talking with the benefit of, of hindsight. But what would your message be to anybody out there who is in a situation where they find themselves looking in the mirror, not recognizing themselves or looking around them and is, is this really my life or is um, feeling that, you know, that they're, they're in a tough time or, or wants to make a change? What, what would your advice be to somebody who is still in the thick of it? I think the first thing would be to be as kind to yourself as you possibly can. Because when you're in a situation that makes you feel less than or that you're not deserving of better, you have to start being kind to yourself before kind of you can expect that from other people. Because if you are carrying on trying to put a brave face on and trying to be okay and show up like that, no one is going to know what's going on for you. And that is exhausting. 
living that life, having this facade, it drains you of all your energy and you lose more of yourself in that process as well. So I think just be kind to yourself and be honest and open with yourself about how you're feeling. Allow yourself to feel those feelings. Don't shut them down mm. because I pushed a lot down and I buried it deep and it took a long time to get my way back from that. But I would also say that if you can reach out to anybody, just one person, and you don't have to be ready to talk, but just to say, I'm not doing so well right now, or I'm not okay. And I just wanted to let you know that. And then that person will come back to you and they will try to talk to you more and try to get you to open up. And if you're not ready, that's okay. Just let them know. Just let them know what you need from them. So if that is just sitting by you quietly, then that's okay. Yeah. Because if they love you and they care about you, then they're going to want to do whatever's best. I think if you know somebody... Oh, sorry. And as I say, if, I think if, you, if you're on the outside and you're looking at, you're thinking about your sister or your friend or somebody you know, or the woman who lives next door, then just be there and hold space for them. Just keep that space and listen to the things that they don't say and don't push them, but just know that you are there holding space without judgment so that when they're ready, they have somewhere they can take that and someone they can speak to. Love that. I want to come back to what you said about being being kind to yourself and you answered the, I was going to ask you the question what what could being kind to yourself be like because I think if we've spent a lot of years not being kind to ourselves that can feel like quite an alien concept it's like well how can I be kind to myself and it's interesting isn't it that you said about one of one of the first ways to be kind to yourself is to be honest with yourself and allow yourself to feel those feelings because it's so easy to fall into that trap of thinking being kind to ourselves is just to get rid of the uncomfortable emotions and not to feel them and to repress them. And, and it's interesting that sometimes to be kind to ourselves, we have to allow ourselves to go to a place that feels uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And to just allow yourself to like, don't stay there. Don't stay Mm. in that moment too long, but allow yourself to sit in it for a little while and explore what it is you're feeling because you need to be able to take your mask off in front of the mirror before you can take it off in front of other people. Mm, Yeah. It's that first step, that kind of, if you don't know yourself, then you're not going to be able to express that to anybody else, but it's ugly. It's not nice. um, And it feels really uncomfortable, but it's the long-term damage is worse if you keep pushing that back down and painting a smile on your face Mm. you don't have to pretend to yourself if you're still at a point where you need to feel you need to pretend to the rest of the world then that's okay if that's where you're at right now but don't lie to yourself don't pretend to yourself because you deserve that truth and that openness I love what you said as well about holding space it's not always easy is it if um first of all it's not it's not always easy to reach out to other people and it's not always easy to be the person on the other side and know what to say or what to do but sometimes it's not about saying or doing I love that you know you've highlighted sometimes it's just about being there if and when needed and holding holding space what what kind of holding space is holding space what what how would you describe that to somebody who's perhaps thinking about they know somebody's going through a challenge and they're going, okay, I'd like to hold space for them. How do I do that? I think just checking in with them regularly, not making it, I'm checking up on you. Just, uh, you know, hey, how are you doing? Kind of 
having that, you know, if people are saying no to stuff, like if they're saying no to meeting for coffee or they're saying no to going for a walk or they don't want to come around and stuff, don't take that as a personal rejection. Take it as a, they're not ready yet and that's okay, but don't stop. Don't give up. Don't think, oh, you know, I can't be there for them because it's hard. It's hard to let someone in when you've been really guarded because you're keeping yourself safe in a situation or you're trying to survive something. You know, you can push other people away. And I think just constantly being there will say, okay, when you're ready, you know. Love that. Let them know when you're ready. Just, just be there. Let them know I'm not going anywhere. You can take as long as you need and I'll be here waiting when you are. I've been talking a lot um, recently. For some reason this week, it's come, a lot, uh, come up a lot. Um, the Japanese art form of kintsugi. Are you familiar with that? I'm very familiar with that. I've been having a lot of conversations about that recently because two people told me that that's how they see me. Yes. Well, it came to my mind just now as you were talking. Yeah. And um, because I'm I'm in the middle of a kind of um, personal branding kind of experience at the moment and working on a lot of my key messages and things like that for the work I want to do going forward, that has is something that has come up a few times now. So watch this space. There might be a, a lot more of that. <laughs> yeah, I want to just for the you know for the benefit of the audience who might not have heard of kintsugi, it's a Japanese art form and there's a whole philosophy that sits behind it. And um, very short version, there's the story of I think it might have been an emperor had a precious china cup and it fell and it broke. It's like this irreplaceable heirloom. And it shattered into loads of pieces. You know, it was really broken. And rather than throw it away, he asked for it to be repaired. But rather than repair it in a way that tried to conceal the cracks and the breakages, they took gold to bring the pieces back together. And the, the, the gold that, that brought those pieces together was what created this new and even more beautiful kind of work of art. And, and it's such a great metaphor for when we've been through adversity and we can feel broken, but as we bring those pieces back together, it, it brings that gold. And I immediately thought of that as I was, as I was hearing, hearing your story. How would you describe where, I, I'm hearing it's, a, it's an ongoing process and you're doing a lot of work at the moment. Where would you say is the, your gold that you've, discovered so far um you know the whole every cloud has a silver lining and what's your gold I think my gold is that all of the stuff that I experienced all the things I've lived through and all the stuff I've overcome has all contributed to the woman that I am today and I am incredibly grateful for that I choose to be grateful because like life, as the way I see it, is that life chose to make me strong. And now I get to choose what I do with that. Mm. So I want to show other women that surviving can be beautiful. And that is kind of like my, that's the passion that drives me forward now for things that I want to do. Because, you know, I was ashamed for a long time of my broken pieces, but actually they were a huge part of who I've become. And, you know, my dark, my darkest times are 
strengths within me and my vulnerability is my superpower and I want to take that forward now and do some good with it. It's so wonderful and we're going to include in the show notes information for people to find out more about what you do and your plans. Do you want to say a bit about how it is you want to be using your gifts and superpowers uh, in the world and moving forward? Okay, so I'm currently working on a, um, a program for other female survivors of intimate partner abuse. Um, not women that are fresh out of crisis situation, but women like I was a few years ago, still held back to some degree, still defined to some point by their past experiences and take them through kind of like a system and there's, there's workshops and there's different offerings there, but so that women can start to essentially own their shit without being defined by it. Because I want women to be able to see that surviving can be beautiful and that then they are in a position where they are free to live life on their own terms, whatever that means to them. So incredibly powerful. Emma, thank you so much. We're coming towards the end of our our time together today, but there's one last thing I'd like to ask you to do if I may we like to ask our guests to leave the audience with a bounce back challenge either a question you'd like to our audience to reflect on or or a specific challenge you would like to set people who have tuned in to this episode today what's your bounce back challenge okay so something that I used to do a lot and I still do for myself is reframing a crappy belief that I had about myself into a positive affirmation that I can use now. So there was a lot of not feeling like enough throughout huge stages of my life. And um, my reframe affirmation for that has always been that I have always been and I always will be more than enough because you know I don't want to just be enough I want to be more than enough so that's my affirmation so what I'd like to invite people to do is to take a unhelpful or limiting self-belief that they have about themselves and to write a positive reframe for it and I would invite everybody to say that out loud to themselves every day and if you don't feel comfortable doing it out loud yet, then just say it in your head or read it, write it down and read it, write it down several times first thing in the morning. But if you can look yourself in the eye and say it to yourself in the mirror, then that's where the real power is. Brilliant. So powerful. Emma, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. I'm so glad that you have found your vulnerability superpower because it takes incredible vulnerability and courage and strength of voice to come on and share bounce back stories. And we're so, so grateful of you coming on the show and sharing your story and your wisdom and your super powerful challenge with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So it just remains for me to say to our audience, bye for now. Thanks for tuning in. And we look forward to catching you on the, on the next episode. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Empower podcast for mums in business. And thanks goes to our podcast series sponsors, Bounce Life. Insurance to protect you, your business and your family. To get your free startup and business growth kickstart guide and to find out about our Empower community, go to empower.global.